Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River. Seven Galatians 6, chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. I want to preach a message today simply titled, What You Seed is What You Get. Come on. Nope. No typo. Oh, on there you thought it was a typo? <laughs> no, it really is. What you seed is what you get. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for today. Open our hearts and minds to see and to hear and to receive your truth. And Father, help us to step out in faith and apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. The scripture says that whatever is sowed will be reaped. Whatever is sowed will be reaped. Whatever is going to be reaped must be sown. Whatever is going to be reaped must be sown. It cannot be reaped if it is not sown. There is a law that exists. It is a law called the law of reciprocity. It is the law of sowing and reaping. The law of giving and receiving. The law of whatever you put out is what's going to come back. Simply whatever we sow, we will reap. I know that there are situations that exist where people do good and someone else might do bad to them. I know that there are things that happen that we didn't sow. I understand that. I know that bad things happen to good people. We know all of that. But that does not negate the fact that the good which has been sown will ultimately be reaped. If something bad happens to you, it does not negate the good that you did. That was not necessarily a response to your good. Don't think that your seed is not working just because people have free will and do bad things. That has nothing to do with your seed. That doesn't mean that the law does not work. It doesn't mean that the principle is not still effective. Keep sowing good. Keep doing good. What you sow is what you grow. What you give is what you receive. It should go without saying that if you don't sow, you don't grow. 
If you do not sow anything, you do not grow anything. If you don't put anything in, nothing comes up. If you do not give, you do not receive. I want you to imagine with me a farmer standing over a piece of ground. Perhaps the ground has even been prepared. Perhaps Justin Woodruff has tilled it up and made rows. So I want you to imagine a farmer taking a piece of empty ground, and the farmer stands over that empty piece of ground, hands outstretched. And he asks God, he makes a plea before the Lord of the harvest. He asks God that cabbage would grow, that corn would grow, that pumpkins would grow, that watermelons would grow, that fruit trees would grow, that beans would grow. He stands and he prays. And then the sun begins to shine. And then the rain comes. But ultimately, nothing comes up from the ground. The farmer never planted any seed. The farmer never planted any seed. Hear me today. You can pray all you want. And God can pour out the blessing. But if you didn't plant anything, nothing is coming up. Do you hear me? For more than two months now, I have been telling Rose, it has been a long time since I taught on finances. And I probably teach on finances less than I should because of carnal reasons, because of vain reasons, because of how people treat money being talked about in church. And so many times I may go too long without talking about it, maybe even missing the Lord a little bit, because I always think people, oh, preachers, they're just talking about money, the church. All they want is your money, on and on and on and on and on. But it has been quite some time since I have taught on finances. I used to try to give a, a little quick encouraging word about finances every week, and I rarely do that. But I told Rose, it's been quite some time since I've talked about finances, and my heart is really, really stirred to teach what God's Word has to say about our money, His money, about our financial situations. And so I kept praying for God's timing. God, give me the right time. God, when are you wanting to talk about finances to the river? And I kept putting it off. And so last Sunday, I'm sitting in a hotel room in Indianapolis, and I turn on the live stream, and the stage is stormed with people marketing their goods. 
peddling their purses and shoes and merchandise. (laughs) And Pastor Vince goes out of his way to say, I will not make up a message because of what day it is. He said, I have to preach what God gave me no matter what, and that the Lord had laid it on his heart to speak to the river about finances. And I said, well, there it is. I'll take that as a confirmation. When I get back, I will bring this message. So I believe that today is not just a sermon. I believe it's a message. I believe that the Holy Spirit is dealing with the hearts of the people at the river right now about our finances and about being good stewards of what he how many of you know it's all his there's part that he give there's part that he reserves for him there's part that he gives to you but it is all ultimately his and we are to be good stewards over that so god is wanting to talk to you about finances i hope that we are listening i hope that we are listening uh, to start i want to give you a couple of interesting verses about money. Very interesting verses. And some verses that a lot of people do not realize are in the Word of God. Ecclesiastes 10, 19. At this point, the writer is going through and giving a lot of different thoughts, some of them not even related to each other, but many of them just giving little little quips, little pieces of wisdom, little, little shots of principle. And he says this, bread is made for laughter, wine gladdens life, And money answers everything. That's an interesting Bible verse. Money answers everything. King James says, money answereth all things. Somebody say, money answers everything. everything. Well, I mean, it almost sounds abrasive to say it, doesn't it? Like, what is, what is up with that? Money does not answer. What do you mean money answers? Money can't make anybody happy and this and that. Well, the first thing I'd like to say, if you don't believe that money can ever make you happy, you never had any. <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> because when I don't have to figure out where the bill money's coming from, that makes me pretty happy. When I can go out to eat if I want to, that makes me pretty happy. If I can take the kids to Disney World and I got enough money for gas, that makes me pretty happy. Money cannot redeem me. Money will not secure lasting joy. Money will not give you, money will not give you peace down in your spirit. But not having to wonder where it's coming from can offer a lot of peace of mind in your life. Are you hearing me today? When we say money doesn't make anybody happy, we are really contradicting statistics that say that probably more than 75% of marriage problems are over money. That a great a great deal of anxiety and depression comes from issues of always struggling and scraping and trying to figure out how we're going to pay the bills, how we're going to make ends meet, how I'm going to secure the future of my children. It is money that steals a lot of our happiness, so having some money could certainly help 
Come on. Are you hearing me? Now do we start to see what it means when the writer says money answers all things? Now, this is a proverb, not a promise. It's a proverb, not a promise. We know there are things that money doesn't answer. That's not what he's talking about. Throw the man a bone. He's making a general statement. Money answers everything. It simply means this. There are not many problems you could have in life that a little money wouldn't at least help. Say, well, money couldn't heal my relative of this and that. No, but I've had a lot of people stuck in the hospital sick, and they couldn't figure out gas money to get back and forth, so money would have helped. Money would have helped to get them a hamburger going back and forth up the road to be with that loved one in that hard time. So we are not saying that money fixes everything, but money answers in all of it. Come on, somebody. Is this okay this morning? Listen, the Word of God talks more about money than it talks about anything else. And if the Word of God is talking about it, we ought to be talking about it and hearing what God has to say about our money. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because a few weeks ago, we preached that without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? We have to put faith in God to please God. Can I tell you what God's number one competition is for where your faith is? It is your money. Human beings put more faith in money than they put in anything else. People trust in their money more than they trust in God. That's why they won't let go of any of it to give it to him, to trust him to multiply it. Because they believe the money they've been saving and holding on to more than they believe him. And then the money disappears, and now you're forced to trust God, and he's been taking pretty good care of you so far, hasn't he? So we need to hear what God has to say about money and get God involved in the money situation. Amen? I think I teach better sitting on this. I feel a little more teachy. (laughs) Money answers all things. Let me give you another one. Moses is talking to the children of Israel about the covenant that he has made with them. This deals with the call on their life. It deals with the call, it deals with their destination where they're supposed to end up. It deals with their activity and what they're supposed to do for the Lord, what they're supposed to accomplish for him. Now, how many of you know that when we read the Old Testament, we can learn a lot from the lives of those in the Old Testament about how God interacts with people, about how God deals with people. And so I can watch God dealing with the Israelites, and I can learn something about his heart. Now, it doesn't mean I'm promised the same thing they're promised. You know, we want to steal a lot of stuff out of the Old Testament and make it promises for our life. Well, I can't make everything in the Old Testament a promise for my life, but I can look at God's heart toward his people. I can learn his characteristics. I can learn his nature. So listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 and 18. This is what Moses says. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You know any self-made men and self-made women, and they think that they did it all themselves? Moses said, beware. 
You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Why? That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So we learn a few things in this verse. We learn, first of all, the nature of humanity, that when God accomplishes something through us, we are quick to take the credit and say, I did that. The second thing that we learn is that God is the one who gives the power to get wealth. A lot of churches and a lot of Christians preach against wealth. They preach against money. They say, money's the root of all evil. What Bible are you reading? My Bible doesn't say that. My Bible says the love of money is a root of all evil. Money is not evil. If it is, why do you have some in your pocket right now? If you believe it's evil, why do you have some? It's the love of money. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's something wrong with money having you. So there's nothing wrong with money. Money is just a tool. The, the, uh, the goodness or the badness of money is determined by the one holding it and what they do with it and how they use it. it, it it's kind of like television or it's kind of like social media. Incredible tools that are used for evil or used for good. We don't call the tool evil. It just depends on how you use it. God is the one that gives the power to get wealth. You need to know today, God has no problem with money, and God's got no money problems. You need to know today, God doesn't have a problem with you having money. God doesn't, God doesn't care if you're a millionaire. God doesn't care if you're a billionaire. God doesn't care if you're extremely wealthy. God is a lot more concerned about your heart than your money. People get all uptight about money. God doesn't get uptight about money. God is more concerned with you than how much money you do or don't have. His heart is that he may confirm his covenant that he swore. His heart is that you accomplish that which he has given you to do. So this is what the Bible has to say about money. Money answers all things, and God gives power to get wealth. It's okay. I, I give you permission to be happy about that. It is okay to know that God is fine with you being wealthy. So the question do you want God to be involved in your finances? Do you want God involved in your, finance, in your finances? Well, most of us would say that we do, and we would pray like we do. But we don't give like we do. We don't give into God's work like we want him involved in our finances. God wants to be involved in your money. And money is going to be a huge part of establishing his work that he wants to do through your life. Don't talk bad about money. God is trying to funnel money to you to get the thing done that he called you to do. Listen, 
faith, I feel like the Holy Spirit's giving some people some confirmation right now. Listen, faith moves heaven, but money moves earth. You don't pay your light bill with a gospel track. Oh, we got the light bill. Send them the one that says Jesus paid it all. How do you pay your house payment every month? How do you pay your car payment? How do you pay your bills? How do you clothe your children? How do you put food on the table? You don't put it there with Bible verses. You put it there with money. You put it there with money. God provides you with money, and you use the money to get the stuff. Now, if God wants to provide it another way, he can. If God wants somebody to drop groceries off at your house, he can. And maybe he will, and probably he has. But honestly, that's not the way he wants to do it, because the Bible said if you don't work, you don't eat. He really wants to give you work to make money to buy it yourself. Come on, somebody. Hope this is helping today. Let me tell you real quick the threefold. This is not in the notes, but let me tell you the threefold recipe for financial success for the Christian. Okay? Work hard and make money. That's number one. Number two, manage your money. Why? No, that's, that's number three. Number two, sorry. Number two, Return the tithe to the Lord and be a giver. Number three, manage your money wisely. Number one, work hard and make money. Number two, return the tithe to the Lord and be a giver. Number three, manage your money wisely. If you will do that, you will want for nothing. You will want for nothing. All right, so God wants to be involved in our finances. But you cannot stand over an empty field and ask God to bless it. You cannot ask God to grow stuff from empty ground. God, please bless this crop. What crop? You didn't plant anything. You're like the farmer that didn't put any seed in the ground and ask God to bless it. And then you get mad at God when nothing comes up and God says, I sent the sunshine. I sent the rain. I sent the worms to cultivate the soil and to release nutrients. I sent the lightning to put the enzymes back in it. God says, I blessed your life. I blessed your ground. I blessed your field. But you never planted anything. Why don't you have any money? Because you haven't given any money. Why don't you have any money? Because you squandered everything that came. You weren't wise with your money. You did not budget. You were foolish with your money, and you did not return to the Lord the portion that was his. And now you're mad at him, but you've got no seed in the field. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You invite God into your field by planting seed. 
If you want God in your finances, you invite him with finances. If you want a financial harvest, you plant financial seed. If you want watermelons, you plant watermelon seeds. If you want apples, you plant apple seeds. If you want God involved in your money, you plant money. And if you don't plan on planting any money, you don't get to complain anymore about your needs not being met. What you sow is what you grow. It must be sown. What you sow is what you grow. What you give is what you receive. What you seed is what you get. Now let's take it further. Not only what you sow is what you grow, but how you sow is what you grow. How you give is what you receive. Listen to this, Luke, 30, uh, Luke 6, 37 and 38. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. You see this principle going on? What you do is what comes back to you. Forgive, you will be forgiven. Whatever you do is what's going to happen to you. Give, and it will be given you. Good measure, packed down, then shaken. Listen, what happens when you're, I don't know, does anybody, when you get home from the store, you pour the cereal from the box into the Rubbermaid so it'll keep longer, or the flour or the sugar or whatever the case, and sometimes the bag has a little more than your container, so what do you do? You shake it and you pack it. And you get more in that container than anybody else could have gotten in there. Good measure. Here's how it's going to come back to good measure. It's going to be packed down. It's going to be shaken together. And then there's still no room left. It's going to be running over. Will be put into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. What kind of a measure do you use when you give? What kind of a scale? What's the condition of your heart? Do you give big or do you give little? Do you give generously or do you scrimp and scrape and just, do you give kind of tight-fisted or do you give open-handed? The type of measure that you use, God says, I'm going to use that same type of measure when I give it back to you. God says, you're going to tell me what you want me to do by what you do. I'll match you. God says, how do you want to invite me? And I'll just use your same scale. So you invite God into your finances with finances. And then you determine how it's going to work. When you're considering how much money you need, what kind of scale do you want to use when you give? What kind of measure do you want to use? This verse, this verse is not about money. This verse is about a principle. 
It doesn't matter if it's love, if it's kindness, if it's helping, or if it's dollars. The way you give out is the way it comes back to you. According to the measure you give, big or small. Now, do we know that this principle definitely applies to money too? I think contextually we've already discovered that. But let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. You've got to understand that the church at Corinth had heard that there was a need in Macedonia. And they said, we will give an offering. We will give an offering. And Paul says, great. So that's where we happen into our, our story here. Paul says to them, it is superfluous. It's absolutely necessary for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. You know, we give to the ministry of the saints in India and in Africa and, and wherever we can. He said, it's essential that I write to you about that ministry for the saints. He said, I know your readiness, of which I already bo boasted about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. He said, I went and told them, y'all prepared your offering. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers to you so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you will be ready as I said you would be. Did you ever hear about a need, and you got all excited at church, and you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give $1,000 to that need. I'm gonna, I, when I go home, I'm going to get it. It's there. I'm going to bring that next week. And then Monday comes, and you still have full intentions, but you know, you got some things to think about. Got some stuff going on. I mean, yeah, I believe the Lord provides. I believe, I, yeah, yeah, he moved on my heart. But, eh, yeah, by next Sunday, you know what? I'm going to give to it next time, but probably not the best time right now. Paul says, I'm sending the brothers to you. To make sure you got it ready. That which I already boasted about. Otherwise, if some of the Macedonians come with me and find out that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift. Somebody say, advance for the gift. Advance for the gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. He said, I need to go ahead and catch you while you're excited so I don't have to take it by force. He said, I want to come while you're giving it as a willing gift and not an obligatory gift. I want it to be a gift and not an obligation. Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. 
But whoever sows bountifully, Paul said, if I can get you to give this while you're in the given mood, that's the way it'll come back to you. They could have given the same amount, but reaped a lesser harvest because it's not just what you sow, it's how. He says, whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now listen to the promise, though, when you do give. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you will have all sufficiency in all things at all times. The Word of God says when you are a giver, He also takes care of all your needs. All sufficiency for all people at all times. And then He says, and you may abound in every good work. God says, if you're a giver, I'm going to take care of all your needs, and I'm going to give you extra that you'll be able to keep on giving. Come on. We'll have to change your name to singer because you'll be a sewing machine. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Hallelujah. To abound in every good work. That was good, wasn't it? As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower... Who does God supply seed to? The sower. God gets it to the one that gives it. If you'll give it, God will get it to you. If he can get it through you, he will get it to you. God's not, God has no problem pouring out on givers. He gives seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your He said, I'll multiply your seed that you sow for sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. You know, there are a lot of people that are saved and they're just simply going to go to heaven. That's not enough for me. I don't want to just go to heaven. I want him to multiply the harvest of my righteousness. I want to get something done. And for that, I have to be a giver. He said, you will be enriched in every way. Wow. To be generous in every way. This does not sound like some broke, busted, disgusted mess. Come on. This does not sound like somebody that can't make ends meet and can't even find the ends. He says, I'm going to enrich you in every way so you can be generous in every way. This is a God that gives the power to, give we to get wealth. This is a God that knows that money has an answer in everything, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. It's all for his glory. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing. Somebody say overflow. It is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Does God care if you got some money? He wants you to have some money. He doesn't want money to have you. 
What you give and the way you give determines what comes back to you and how it comes back to you. What you seed is what you get. Hallelujah. Listen, the fist that is closed concerning giving is also closed concerning receiving. If your hand will not open to give, he also can't put anything in it. Money does not come to the stingy. Money comes to the giver. I'm not telling you something that I don't know about. I'm living in this thing, and honey, I'll just tell you it's working pretty good. It's working real good. I'm sitting a lot different than I used to be sitting. The word works if you know how to work it. And I'm using this. I am using this, and I'm just telling you, it's working pretty good. It's working pretty good. Money doesn't come to the stingy. It comes to the giver. There are people who say, if I could get a little bit of money, I'd be a giver. No, you won't. No, you won't. You are either a giver right now or you're not one at all. You will not become a giver later. You have to become a giver now. If you are not a giver while you don't have money, you will not be a giver if you get some money. Those that give when they have money are the same ones that were giving when they had nothing. Because giving is a heart condition, not an amount Giving is not determined by the amount in your bank. Giving is determined by your heart. And if you will be a giver when you have some money, you are already a giver right now when you have no money because givers give. Givers give. Mark 12, 42. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I wish I knew the rest of her story. It may be recorded in some Jewish tradition and history somewhere because givers don't stay poor. And she got the attention of the one that could do something about it. I wish I knew what happened. Listen, when you start planting seed, you start growing stuff. If you plant, it grows. Just make sure the ground is good. The quality of the soil determines the future of the seed. The quality of the soil determines the future of the seed. Find a work that's doing something. Find a work that is living what they're preaching. Find a church that's trying to figure it all out a step at a time, but we're getting people saved every single month. Find, find a church that's paying off lunches for kids. Find a church that's sending money around the world so hungry people can wear clothes and eat and get out of the weather. Find a good work. Find good soil. You start planting in good soil, that seed is going to begin to grow. Then look out because a harvest is coming. 
You start planting seed in good ground, look out, because a harvest is coming. Now, you know, tithing, somebody say tithe. Tithing is when we return to the Lord the portion of our income that already belongs to him. Every time you get paid, the first 10%, not the last 10%, not the middle 10%, the first 10% belongs to the Lord. Did you know that you cannot give a tithe and you cannot pay a tithe because it's not yours to pay or yours to give. You don't own that part. There's only one, th well, there's two things you can do with a tithe. You can return it to the rightful owner or steal it. And that's what everybody in this room does every time you get paid. You either hand it to the one that owns it, God, or you steal it from the one that owns it, God. There's only two things you can do with a tithe, return it or steal it. Tithing is when we return to the Lord the portion of our income that already belongs to him, the first 10%. Leviticus 27 and 30. Now, listen, I can show you tithing all through the book. All through the book. Old Testament, New Testament. We show it through all through the book. And people say, tithing's part of the law. No, tithing existed before the law was ever given. Tithing is a principle. It is not a law. Before the law was ever given, tithe was being given to Melchizedek, the high priest, who was in the likeness of the Son of God. Come on. So tithing is a principle that exists. Leviticus 27.30, every tithe of the land, whether seed or fruit of the trees, how many of you know that's income? They weren't dealing paper. What you grew, your livestock, that's what you traded. That was your money. Could be converted for coins, but this was money. Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Don't touch that which is holy. That first 10% doesn't belong to you, and I would be scared to touch it. Hallelujah. Malachi 3.10. Bring the full tithe. We bring it all. We bring it first. God doesn't need your tip. I'll give God a little something left over. God doesn't need your leftover. God wants his tithe back, and then you can give. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing that there is no more need. So that's tithing. But giving is when we sow seed beyond the tithe. This is given from the generosity of our hearts out of the part he called ours into God's work. 2 Corinthians 9 and 7, we just read it a moment ago. Each one must, must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Some people aren't cheerful givers. Some people aren't even cheerful tithers. 
they don't even like to hand God's own money back to him. It's quiet in here. Let alone giving any of their own money, they wouldn't even hand God's 10% back to him. They're going to steal that. Let alone give him anything out of the portion that's theirs. But listen to what happens for givers. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, the first thing that I see is that I'm supposed to have some wealth. <laughs> I can't honor him out of my wealth if I'm poor. So the, uh, sometimes uh, an assumption is stronger than a command. It's just assumed that the child of God has wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will burst with wine. Sign me up. Sign me up. My whole life, I have tithed. My parents taught me. You all have heard me say this a million times. You know, anytime you go to grandma and grandpa's house, grandpa will give you a dollar or five dollars or whatever. When grandpa handed me a dollar, I knew at four years old, I only had 90 cents. I knew that because a dime went into the plate over here about 100 feet behind me. And I knew that. So I was raised that the tithe is holy unto the Lord. There was one time in my life when I was tempted to slow down on tithing. But thank God for an honest, godly wife. Thank God for an azer. To stand face to face and say, nope, we're going to do it this way. Men, if your wives do not have authority in your marriage and in your home, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. The husband is not supposed to rule over the wife. We have some great responsibilities, but your wife is a decision maker with you. She's an azer and a conegdo. She stands in your way, God gave your wife to you to stand in your way because she's supposed to be the one that can talk you down and then a conegdo to tell you what to do about it. All right. There was one time when I was tempted to slow down on my tithing, and I didn't even consider that, it wasn't, that I wasn't going to be tithing. Here's the situation. And a lot of you know the story, so if you don't want to hear it again about how that guy handed me all that money. Just plug up your ears and you won't have to be encouraged by it today. Several years ago, uh, the church came to a point where there was no way to keep the church doors open and also to pay my salary. Now, you got to understand that I was... I was getting $1,000 a month. <laughs> I was getting a whopping $1,000 a month while we had baby Moriah. 
me and Rose and Moriah. Now, the church, the church made sure and paid for my home, I should say that. But my money, if I was going to eat, come on, and wear clothes, which I like both of those things, $1,000 a month. How many of you know $1,000 a month doesn't go very far, even for one person, let alone a family, one of which is a diaper-wearing, milk-spitting baby? So, I gave up my salary so that the river could stay open. I went eight years without taking a salary. Some of the smart mouth people out and about maybe ought to know that. But I got too much pride to tell them. Let them think what they want to think. Eight years. Eight years I went without a salary. The first month that I would not get my salary was in October. I forget what year, but it was in uh, the month of October. Now, you all know that I have done magic shows since the time I was 11 years old. I still do that today. When I started the church, that had to take a back burner so we could focus all of our attention on the church. So in October, I was going to be short $1,000, really shorter than that because I needed more than $1,000 just to make it anyway. And so I had done a magic show or something, and Rose got ready to write the tithe check. And I said, uh -uh. I said, you won't be needing to write that because I'm giving $1,000 in October. I said, I don't get an income, and I'm giving a whole $1,000 a month. I wasn't the least bit bitter. And I'm giving a whole $1,000. Rose said, you are correct. This is, this is a good way to ace her. Come on. She said, you're correct. She said, I'm not even telling you you would be wrong. She said, because I understand that that which you have given is way bigger than your income. She said, but in my heart, she said, I believe strongly that we are supposed to go ahead and give the 10% off of this. I said, whatever, write the check. So we wrote the check. The next day, or within a couple of days, I don't remember, I got a call from uh, a recreation director at a resort. Now, this is going back. I've had a salary again, I think, for three years. So this is going back 11-ish uh, years, however that works out. This recreation director of this resort calls and said, yes, every weekend of October... We are having a murder mystery weekend as kind of a fall-time Halloween kind of thing. We would like for you to come every Saturday night, four Saturdays, and do a magic show at the murder mystery. The price for that particular show was $250. 
if you can do your math, that's $1,000 in October. Rose said, we need to write a tithe check. Uh, she said, I feel strongly in my heart. So we did. In November, well, during October, while I'm making the thousand, the phone begins to ring for November magic shows. And in November, I made over $2,000 playing with magic tricks. In December, I made over $3,000. Now, January is always my slow month, not because it has to be, but I usually go into a coma at that time and lay lethargic until February. But calls started coming in, and in January, I made over $4,000. Do you hear what I'm telling you? And it kind of topped out around there. And I'm not telling you I made that much money every single month. What I am telling you is that Jehovah Jireh is alive. God is our provider. There was no way for me to concoct that. There was no way for me to pull that. That had never happened before. How could that suddenly happen that I give up a thousand, but I pay my tithe and I make a thousand and two and three and four? And God just kept on providing. Now, those years allowed me to really begin to build up clientele in my magic show business. And you all know that I do a lot of those. And it has, it has making a pretty good living on its own. But at the end of 2015, we decided to buy a new building that needed a lot of work, a lot of work. So we secured this building early 2016. Isn't it funny we've been here seven years, about, about seven years, however that math works out. So we move into this building. Guess what? My magic shows, because I wasn't getting a salary from the church, my magic shows that are going to feed my family, got deacon now too, I didn't get to book any magic shows because I had to be here cleaning and painting and moving. So now the money is running out and there's no money coming in. So around November, I think it was, somebody called me that I knew a tiny bit but did not know very well. And he said, uh, he said, yeah, the Lord has laid something on my heart. I was wondering if you have a little time today. Now, I want you in your mind to figure somebody that's making about $2,000 a month average for a year, 2000 or 2500 a month for a whole year. Kind of get that in your head, what a year of money would be. And I had missed that. This person calls me out of the blue, and they had been listening to me uh, on radio and di diff some different things. And he said, I want, to, I want to meet with you. God's laid something on my heart. Don't do that right now. I'm trying to talk. <laughs> so I went and met him, and he said, he said, get in the car with me. 
And so I got in the car, and he said, you know, a while back, he said, I had called you and asked you if you needed a truck because I felt like I was supposed to give you a truck. He said, but you told me you didn't need a truck. I didn't know he was planning on giving me a truck, or I probably just would have said yes, you know. <laughs> he was pretty specific in the way he asked. And he's like, are you needing a truck for I was like, no. He's like, okay. And he asked me that a couple of times. So anyway, he said, you told me you didn't need a truck. And every time I say truck, Siri lights up. I don't know what her deal is with this. And so he said, since you didn't need it, he said, I sold it. He said, but when I sold it, he said, I just could not get it off my mind and my heart that it was yours. He said, so I know you don't think so. He said, but the Lord told me what to do. He said, so I'm just going to give you the money that I got for the truck. I said, okay. And he got out his checkbook, and he handed me $35,000. was a nice truck. $35,000. And that is what I would have made that year that I gave up. But we kept on working. We kept on working hard. We kept on tithing. We kept on giving. And we kept on managing our money the way that God would have us to. I know that God is a provider. I know that he is a provider. God is faithful. When you feel like you are down to nothing and that you need to use what you have left to feed yourself instead of give it to God, just remember that a crop, the crop you're about to eat, is worth more as seed. You eat a crop, it's gone. You plant a crop, you get lots of crops. You see, if I cut one apple open, I can tell you how many seeds are inside. But if I take one out, I cannot tell you how many apples are inside of a seed. Praise the Lord. Don't eat your seed. When you have income... You return to the Lord the portion that is his. You set aside part of the crop to plant for next year's harvest. And then you eat what is left. Does anybody know about farming? The farmer doesn't eat the whole crop. The farmer turns part of the crop back into seed so he can eat for years to come. And your money is a seed. Don't eat your income. Give God back his tithe. Sow seed to the kingdom. Listen to this. Some people get scared to let go of it. They feel like, I need that money. I, I won't have that money anymore. The seed that leaves your hand never leaves your life. It goes into your future and creates a harvest that's waiting there for you. 
Now, no bones about this. It is on my mind and heart to pay this building off. Now, Rose told me that I cannot say the amount while the cameras are on. So I put it on the back of your note sheet, all right? So turn your note sheet over. We owe about that amount. You see it? That's not very much. As a matter of fact, it has been miraculously paid down, and we don't even know how, because a couple of years ago, Glenda and I asked the bank for payoff, and they told us the payoff, and when we looked at the number, it was incorrect. We said, no, that's not enough because we have paid this much. And so Glenda and I went back. We called the bank, and they said, no, that's that. So then Glenda and I went back through the books. And we said, no, we paid this, we paid this. No, no, we should owe a lot more than that. So we called the bank, and we said, no, there's this and this and this. And they ran it again. They said, we, we don't know. We don't know why or what, but this is all that you owe. So that number you're looking at is what it's down to. I'm praying that someone here or someone watching, and you'll have to message me because my wife won't let me tell you the cost, will simply write a check for that amount because there are people that could write that amount. Or maybe three people. Maybe three people could take that on. But think about this. Look at the little breakdown. What if five people gave that amount that you see there? That doesn't sound nearly as scary, does it? What if 10 people gave the next amount? What about 20 people? 40 people? 80 people? There are about 130 regulars that attend here at the river. What if each one came up with, look at that amount. I think a kid could do a fundraiser and come up with that amount and know that they helped pay this building off. That would pay it off. Doesn't sound too hard, does it? It really doesn't. I don't think it sounds too crazy that six people would break that amount up by six and give that even. I think that would be easy. Now, what if every person that attended the river, what if they just decided to always return their tithe to the Lord of the income? What if people decided to always sow seed? What would we be able to do if we were debt-free? The church buildings we've been building in India don't look like this. And they're thankful for them. What kind of church building and how many church buildings could we build if we're debt free? How many wells could Stephen Gashumba dig throughout Uganda if we were debt free? What kind of impact could we make? How much further could we reach? What about our little life-breathing community theater thing we're trying to do here? You remember what we did at Christmas and how many people came? Do you remember that 400 people showed up for Easter and we had to lock the door and go outside to the waiting line down the street and say, we're sorry, no more will get in? 
I wonder how many more programs we could put on, unique programs, life-giving programs. I wonder what kind of cool family entertainers we could, besides just me. I wonder who we could bring, bring in here to breathe life and be a witness. I wonder what we could do if that was paid off. I think it's a worthy investment. I think it's good ground to sow in. What could we do? What will you give today to pay this building off? What will you commit to bring next week? I'll send the brothers to your house so you don't lose your zeal. <laughs> Jeremy, Nick, Vince, rough them up. The book of Acts said they rounded up a few lewd fellows of the baser sort. I, listen, I don't know about y'all, but I like to keep a few folks around me that are barely saved, you know? I, I, need, I need protection and help and folks that can get things done. So, hallelujah. What if, what if you would finally decide to become a tither and, and give to God all the time? Maybe there's somebody here that would like to add a set amount to their weekly giving and market uh, building payoff or something. Now, we have established what happens when you give. We have established how to give, and we have established the reason that we give. And reason numero uno is souls. It is to get this work done. That's why we give. If, if we never got anything back, it's still the right thing to do. But we also learned that we do, that God also blesses us back, and you cannot outgive God. Try. Try him. Try to outgive God. You cannot. So this is what I want to ask. When considering the seed today, Consider your need. Do you have a need in your own life today? Are you facing something that you need divine financial intervention? Sow a seed. If you've got a need that you need money for, you need to put some money up on that thing because that that seed will break the back of that struggle. It will break the power of that financial wall because you are releasing faith in that area and you are sowing seed in that area. So today, what need do you have that you need God's help in? What you seed is what you'll get. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River.